Hello, hello, welcome back to another episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. And first, right off out the gate for this very special episode, I just want to wish everybody in the horror community, everyone outside of the horror community, just everyone, whoever is listening to this podcast, happy Pride Month. June is Pride Month, and we are celebrating Pride Month here on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club by talking about the Child's Play franchise. This is episode five of the Bloody Blunt's Cinema Club, and this is volume two of our Batteries Not Included series covering the Chucky franchise. Um, I'm shooting this little intro um, ahead because we have some special guests coming up for this episode of the podcast. I'm actually recording this intro after we did this already. Just so that way I could say um, I am uh, super excited to have the first guests on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. I had two writers on, um, two writers within the horror community that uh, do excellent work, uh, BJ and Harmony Colangelo. They are a couple as well. They are a very queer couple, and I brought them on because, uh, I mean, I'm a queer guy myself. I am a little bi boy, but I, I only can bring enough queer energy. I can only bring so much, and you guys deserve much, much more than that when we're talking Bride and Seed of Chucky. So, because this is the the gayest section of the franchise uh, by far, um, uh, written and created by a gay man, Mr. Don Mancini. So, there's a, there's just a lot to talk about, and especially with uh, Seed of Chucky, when we get into uh, themes of transgender representation that the Chucky franchise was doing back in 2004, people. This movie was so ahead of its time. Um, but yeah, so it was. there was so much to talk about, and I felt like I only had enough information and perspective to supply, and I would be doing you guys and these movies a disservice if I didn't bring in um, some people to fill in the gaps. So I am super uh, pumped for our special guest to come on. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and light up real quick. And then after the intro music is done, we will be into the interview section with the Colangelos. So I will see you guys on the other side. Alright guys, welcome back to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, and as I promised on the last episode, I have a couple of special guests. Uh, these are the first guests on the uh, podcast, so this is a big moment, but um, I have BJ and Harmony Colangelo, said it right, yes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, so happy to have you guys on. Um, can, uh, you guys are, uh, two horror writers. I, I've been following, I had followed you first BJ at some point, I think like a couple of years ago. And then that's when, then I saw that Harmony was also a writer and I was like, oh my gosh. And, um, so, and specifically for the two movies that we'll be covering today, I felt like you guys would be fantastic guests on to, uh, get, get a little perspective on, uh, you know, some different angles of the queer community. So thank you for coming on. 
Well, thank you for having us. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm excited. Two of my favorites. Two of your favorites. Ooh, I'm so excited. That that makes me very happy. So just a little <laughs> background uh, for the listeners. Um, where are some of your guys' uh, writing backgrounds from? And um, So I've been writing for over 10 years now, and my bylines have been pretty much everywhere at this point. Um, Horror-specific, um, Fangoria, Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central, Daily Dead, Blumhouse.com. So, all the big R&D. hitters. Yeah, all the all the big ones. And then um, outside of specifically horror um, sites, I've written for Vulture, Playboy.com, uh, Daily Dot, and Autostraddle. And those are just usually like my my go-to. Oh, Birth Movies stuff as well. Those are like my, go, my go-tos for that. And I have a significantly smaller resume. <laughs> <laughs> where I mostly do a lot of self-published and local writing, not anything quite as spectacular. <laughs> hey, you're on Medium, and that's legit. Yeah, no, you yeah. have your Medium, and yours is, and you, I like uh, your writings. Yours is a little bit more um, uh, focused, a little bit uh, on you know transgender representation in horror films. Um, I believe one of the first articles I read of yours was uh, yours for Assassination Nation. Oh, you read that uh, one? Yes. That was my first one I put on there. That, that was? Oh, yes. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Um, because just because that was one of my, that's one of my favorite movies of the past few years. And there wasn't too Same. many people writing about it. I really loved your article about it, about um, the transgender gaze. And I thought that was a, a very interesting article. Thank you. Yeah. So before we get into uh, talking about Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, this is volume two as uh, the Blade Blunt Cinema Club is uh, covering through the entire Chucky franchise in three parts. Um, But before we get into a little bit more movie-centric things, this is also a cannabis-centric podcast. Just out of curiosity, do you guys smoke? Smokers? No? I am an edibles fan Mm -hmm. because I have um, just absolute garbage lungs to begin with. Um, So You and your asthma. Yeah, me and and my (laughs) asthma. But um, yeah, anything... Any of the edible types, I am uh, quite fond of. I will say, my personal favorite recipe is um, when you use like butter to make um, rice krispie treats. But instead mm-hmm. of rice krispies, you use frankenberry and blueberry or blueberry and chocula. You mix the the monster cereals because they have like this weird sugar texture to it. It's ah, oh, that is amazing. Me and me and my lady are both fans of treats as well. We make like little Starburst and Rice Krispie treats. But yeah, I, you know, it's a it's a simple thing just to switch up the cereal that nobody really thinks about. That's like, oh mm-hmm. my god, that's a total game changer. But yeah, you know, edibles, um, definitely for people that um I mentioned in previous episodes that either people that do have breathing issues or. I noticed that, um, you know, some people, um, edibles are bad for people that get anxiety when they smoke. So it's like, you know, everybody has their different ways of consuming and harmony. You at all? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the same for me. Generally, I prefer to drink my drug, but like if I need to just like calm down because like the world's on fire right now, mm-hmm. uh, that's all edibles are a little bit better of a way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it so it's a bit harder. <laughs> become a little bit more into your, into your uh, everyday life now. Cause yeah, everybody's yeah. everyday life is changing. It's insanity out there right now. Oof. Yeah. So it's like, if nothing else, it's a great way for me to sleep real heavily. <laughs> yes. I mean, if anything, you know, de-stress or helping to sleep, you know, cannabis, it has all of its uses. And that's what we're trying to spread uh, in this podcast, just a little corner of it. But um, so as I want to um, set the stage for talking about these films, 
And just so I can kind of, you know, this is for me to kind of gauge your guys' film taste a little bit. I just want to get three movies from you guys. And the three movies would be, one, your favorite horror movie, just your in general favorite, your uh, favorite of 2020, and then your favorite hidden gem, whether that just be a movie you think is underrated, one that you think that people haven't seen, but something very specific to you that um, you would recommend as like a hidden gem to people. I can go first if you guys would like a second. Yeah, give me a second. I'm going to have to ponder on that one. Yes. So <laughs> this is like, you're like asking me to choose between children right now. So I'm like, I know it's like, what mood are you in that? Like, that's kind of for me, like my favorite horror movie. It's hard because my mis- my nostalgic pick is Nightmare Before Christmas. That's like the one that I grew that like meant a lot to me growing up. And then, you know, and then American Psycho kind of took things to the next level for me. So like that's been my favorite for a long while. Got my American Psycho tattoo up in there. And then, but now, recently, like, every time I watch The Neon Demon, I just, like, love it a little more and more. <laughs> I have such a strange relationship with that movie because, like, I didn't I didn't love it the way I did now. So, I don't know. That might be a new favorite, but it's uh, it's up there. My favorite of 2020 would be Swallow. I know 2020 has been an interesting year with everything going on as far as um, horror films or just films in general being released. So it is kind of slim pickings, but uh, Swallow was really, really good. I love that, you know, that uh, like bright light daytime horror, you know. We need so we need so much more of that. Yes, like it's like that that it's like suburban domestic horror. Like I I kind of put it in like that same aesthetic tone as like a Heather's or Society even you know just that kind of that brightness and like um and how real the horror is for that one um really great movie and favorite hidden gem I have so many that I'm going to talk about throughout this podcast but um my one hidden gem is um I I, I won't say it's a hidden gem because it's still fairly new but it's one I tell a lot of people watch is Life I've been thinking about that movie a lot. Um, it was in 2017. A lot of people called it an alien ripoff, but it's so much more than that. It's a uh, with uh, Jake Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, fucking Ryan Reynolds. I couldn't think of which Ryan it was for a second. I blanked. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's a a nice little hidden gem. But I won't talk too much about that because that's gonna come up like on a future episode. But I think I gave you guys a little bit of a minute or so to kind of think on some of your answers. I got I got mine. So my all time like this is the one that I have forever. This one's fine. Um, my all time favorite horror movie is uh, 1985's Fright Night. The mm. Original Fright Night is my favorite horror movie of all time. It has everything that I could possibly want. It's also hella gay. So, of course, Super I'm going to be gay. into it um so for sure i like i have a shrine and she's seen it she's contributed to it i have a yes. shrine to jerry dandridge in my bedroom you have like just <laughs> 17 pieces of with, custom art yeah different artwork <laughs> autograph i have like a taxidermy bat like fruit bat like it's it's a it's a problem um so <laughs> friday night 1985 is my favorite um my favorite of 2020 i'm gonna say one and it might be taking your answer and i'm sorry um but bit I took yours. I'm sorry. That's a fairly honestly, recent I an- one. I was right? honestly going to answer something else because I we watched that last year, so I forgot it came out this year for everyone yeah. else. Yeah. So, 
bit is an intersexual feminist vampire movie. I like vampire movies. Um, intersexual feminist vampire movie about this uh, this trans girl who moves to Los Angeles. She goes out one night and she comes across like a vampire girl gang and they um, specifically target like shitty dudes. So they don't just like aimlessly pick their their victims. It's like, oh, you are like a like serial predator. Like you're going to die now. Um, and it's just really well written and it's really fun to look at and it's, you know, an indie film. So it's, um, there's like, you can like see the love behind it. So yeah, bits my 2020. And then for hidden gem is actually something that I was talking about, um, not that long ago with some other horror people, but there is a movie called teenage cocktail from, uh, I don't know what year that is, like maybe 2015, 2016. Hmm. Um, and it is about two high school girls that um, are trying to save money so that they can move to the other side of the country and they start like illegally camming. And the first like three quarters of the movie, you're like, oh, this is just like a like, kind of a dramedy about like cam girls in high school. and Yeah, a road movie. Love. Yeah, and then it takes a hard left, um, and mm. Pat Healy's in it from Two yeah. Thrills, and like AJ Bone has a little like cameo in it as the principal. Um, Fabian Therese, who's in Star, like she plays like the like the mean girl in Starry Eyes. She's like one of the lead girls. I love Starry Eyes, um, one of my favorites. Oh yeah, she's she's so good in this. And then the other lead is uh, Nicole Bloom, who I think is on like Superstore right now. But it's like this really, really cool, awesome, like, it, it, it's an intense movie, but like it hit festivals and then disappeared. But oh, man. You track it down. It's good. Well, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to track that one down because I love all those people involved. Like I said, Starry Eyes is one of my favorites. So I love anything connected, especially Pat Healy, of course. And um, I love movies that take, you know, those hard lefts. And, uh, and Bit sounds like a. Sounds like a cross of almost like Lost Boys and a girl walks home alone at night. Almost. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's very much there, but like in kind of like the Instagram under the Instagram lens of just like everybody's really glamorous and like all the vampires have like these really unique like aesthetics. Like one's a chola, one's like this hard butch. Like they're it's really rad. Ooh, I might be watching that tonight. That sounds wonderful. Harmony, and what are your choices? I'm just so transfixed listening to you every time that I always forget what the hell I'm supposed to say. Um, as far as favorite goes, like I don't have a shrine to any movies in our apartment, so I don't really have an easy, definite answer, and it tends to vary. But you know what? Today I'm just gonna I'm gonna say Tremors. Let's go with that one. That's my favorite of all time because I saw Jaws at a way too young of an age and was horrified of the water, and it's just Jaws on land, but dumb. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> oh, and with Kevin, I mean, you can't go wrong with Kevin Bacon. You can never oh, go wrong with Kevin Bacon. He had like a crisis making that movie. He was so upset. He did not want to be there. <laughs> he but like Reba McIntyre is amazing in it. And Michael Gross is amazing in it. And he's good in all of them, especially the first four. I was just That's listening to, ones. I was just listening to the Dead Meat podcast and they did Tremor. They covered Tremors this week. So I was literally just listening. Oh, to that. Great movie. So and Love your favorite Tremors. of 2020? Well, I mean, I didn't think about Bit, and then as soon as you said it, I was like, well, shit, okay. Um, well, <laughs> what I was going to probably say instead was The Invisible Man, because it's so well done. Like, technically, it's a much better movie than Bit, but Bit's way more my brand and yours, too. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's probably my best, because I, I was so enthralled when we saw that in theaters. That was 
probably one of the last things we saw before everything shut down. Yeah, I think we went and saw The Invisible Man, and then the next week we saw The Hunt, and then the yes. next day it was like, surprise, you can't go outside. Yeah, like, everything oh, shut down the day after we saw The Hunt. We went and saw that. Yeah, so I'd say The Invisible Man just so that I don't copy you, but <laughs> as a personal thing, it's probably Bit, <laughs> which because oh, okay. I just love it so much. Yeah. Uh, Invisible Man was the last one I saw in cinema too, like oh, before everything sad. shut down. Yeah, but I got to see the hunt at the drive-in. That was nice. Oh, oh that's fun. We went yeah. to the drive-in last week, which yeah. is nice. We went and saw. Um, we, we saw, saw Becky, Becky, which is super duper good, Ooh, and that was paired with uh, Infamous, is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Infamous. Yeah, it was a it was a fun trip, but we got to see, when we saw Invisible Man, we saw it opening weekend, and our theater was like packed. And Cleveland's kind of like like it's a Rust Belt city, so it's a that's rowdy crowds, mm-hmm. and I like, live for rowdy. They're my crowds. favorites. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> like when people are like yelling at the screen, like most people are like oh, it's ruining the experience. I'm like, no horror movies, you're allowed. Like let it out, let me hear this. And we had just a blast of just listening to people like yelling and screaming. Oh yeah, like what the fuck are you doing? Get out of there! We're like, Oh, so good. <laughs> at least you got one more good one in before you know before the world went to shit so that's always yeah uh, and what's uh what's your hidden gem harmony see this one's tricky most of my favorite hidden gems aren't horror movies because i feel like all of my favorite hidden gems aren't really hidden gems because it's like oh everybody knows about this but just because i have a like two foot tall custom made plush of it that you got made for me i'm gonna say terror vision i have not seen that one Oh, t- see, there we go. It is a hidden gem then. Terravision yeah. is uh, a full moon picture from like er- mm. the early before they completely went off the rails and started doing what they do now. Um, and it's about a giant space monster who looks like a huge just turd. Like they tried to make like a society type monster and it just didn't come together right. Nice. And he beams in from another planet and he's the hungry beast and has insatiable appetite and just wants to eat everyone on Earth. But he also like loves TV and heavy metal music and like the parents in this movie, one of which is like Garrett Graham and he's fantastic and yeah. everything he's in is like they're open swingers and the kids are like one's like a crazy kid who's way into his army vet grandpa and he thinks he's like a little commando. And the daughter has like a boyfriend whose name is OD and she's wearing like four wigs. Yeah, like she has like... <laughs> She just looks like somebody like made a painting of Cindy Lauper and then just like threw it at someone. They just like, pay, they like put four Cindy Loppers on top of each other, yeah. <laughs> and they just um, layered it on top of each other. Oh my god! Yes. Uh, I love me some prime like prime time full moon. Like you said, like before uh, they went off the rails, like because like what this sounds like this would have been early nineties. Oh, this is. 80s probably like 86, 87 maybe. Oh, this is real early full moon. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's your oh. vision rules, and it also ha- it's like it's one of those movies that has its own theme song. Like like when oh, they like it. hired someone to write like <laughs> the title track for it, which like no one does anymore. Yeah. Which just sucks. We do need more title tracks and uh for movies like specifically written. What happened to that? Uh. Uh, I love that, and I love kids movies where they rap their own theme song over the credits, and then you get Monster Squad, and they do both because it's horror. And it's that. <laughs> you get that. And uh, if you get the trifecta, you get the kids rapping with the, the freeze frame like sitcom credits. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the cherry on top right there. But okay. oh, I love it so much. <laughs> cool, cool. So one, I mean, I got a few movies to add to my watch list, which is nice. 
And now I got I got a little idea of where we're going, but I think we're going to have a really fun conversation here. So another thing that we talk about here on the Blade Blend Cinema Club is it's kind of, you know, analyzing genre as a whole, you know, the the subgenres within the horror subgenre. And that's where I think the the Child's Play franchise is super interesting because with each era, as I've been referring to them, like, you know, you have the first three and then you have these two movies and then you have Cult and Curse. After that, with each era, they kind of embody kind of what was going on in horror at that time. And yeah. you get this evolution through it. So with Bride and Seed of Chucky, uh, Bride of Chucky coming out in 1998, this is about the most late 90s movie that could have been made. And this is where uh, where Chucky kind of goes more, he goes further into the comedy realm. Um, I think people... The, the the first era, the first three films, they got a little bit repetitive, you know, so they wanted to they want to shake it up. They added all this comedy to it. So that's where it, it changes into this really weird genre. So I don't know about for you guys, but for me, Bride of Chucky um, is the one that I watched the most as a kid. It seemed the most successful. It's the first Chucky movie I'd ever seen. I'd never seen any of the Child's Play films like Bride of Chucky was my introduction. Then, you know, eventually went back. So how so? Where's Bride of Chucky sit for you guys? So Bride of Chucky is one of like of the franchise is definitely like it's probably my favorite installment outside of the first one. But it's always really hard to like rank films because typically like something like Child's Play was not intended to be a franchise. It was supposed to be like the one and done. Mm-hmm. So it's like it almost feels like it's its own can contained storyline. But I you know I grew up in Chicago and the first child's plays in chicago so like child's play and like Candyman are like the two like big mm-hmm. franchise players in chicago so i watched them probably way way too young um i also grew up in a household where my parents let me watch whatever i wanted which you know maybe was a questionable decision but i think i'm pretty well adjusted <laughs> um but i i've seen all i i had seen all the child's play movies in order um of when mm-hmm. they came out and bride really just sort of like sparked something for me because you get tiffany and it was like ah a girl like yes <laughs> this is exactly what i wanted um so i saw that one after the first three but like completely loved it like immediately there was like no hesitation no like oh this is nothing like the first three it was like no this is awesome <laughs> like i'm on board immediately <laughs> That was actually the first one I saw because mm-hmm. most of um, we didn't have a video store in my town growing up. We rented all of our movies from Drug Mart, nice. which is like it's got movies, but it doesn't have it's not a video <laughs> store. So they had limited selections. Um, so uh, Bride of Chucky was the first one I saw because it was the one that would air on TV all the time. And because probably because it was accessible and had comedy and they didn't have to censor out nearly as much blood and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing that, I always kind of like my impression of Chucky was that he was always very like humorous and like, he's always funny, but like he's much darker in the first three, especially Mm -hmm. like the first one where it's like trying to be a much more serious, scary movie. So I have like the child's play of your big, like franchise slashers that have like six plus entries. I'd say the child's play one's probably my favorite. And it started with bride and I, it just, it's, it's got a really nice special place in my heart 
Like I love the that there's main characters that are technically the heroes, but you're not rooting for them because no, they they're not as interesting as Tiffany and Chucky are. <laughs> so you're like, oh yeah, he's just killing everyone, and you're just you just, they they're getting blamed for it, whatever. Yeah, Who cares? All, yeah, and you know, Briar Chucky, like, because like that's like you know the pathway that I had, like you know, I was introduced and then saw, and then like you said, like oh, I I always thought Chucky was like you know this more outwardly comedic and things like that. Yeah. But then for me, it was like once I started going back and watching the first three, like because I think especially in two is where they have like the perfect balance. I think of like yeah. the oh, darkness yes. and the my comedy. favorite in the two series. is my two is my favorite in the series. I might change my mind because I love Curse a lot too. But mm. once I went back and then rewatched, you know, Bride for this time around, like I had seen it so many times, like as a kid, like so many times. And then watch it back now. It's like I can still appreciate it for what it is, and and I also appreciate it a little bit more because it was like they were bringing it back, you know, because it was like they took like a seven year break in between three and Bride. So it was like kind of like was it a refresh? Was it like kind of like you know a separate story? But then I appreciate it a smidge more when Curse and Colt come around. Then they tie it back mm-hmm. in, and so like. That's what I appreciate about this series as a whole is just like it's the same continuity. We're still going even when things get outlandish and seed, which we're going to get to, obviously. <laughs> but they still keep it. They still keep it together. And that's what has always impressed me about it. But yeah, so let me pull up what I had in my notes about this movie. The early 2000s, like late 90s aesthetic that they had going here. Does do you favor like even like how you feel now, like from when you grew up, are you in favor of this tone and the camp of it now? Or do you favor the more serious ones? <sighs> so I agree that I think that two is like the perfect Chucky film, but I have such an affinity for the campiness of the bride and seed genre because I like that you mentioned the continuity and it's like, you know, the Chucky franchise with the exception of the remake is the only franchise where you get the same writer all the way through it. So Don Mancini's kind of like, he's doing what he wants. He's the dude. And, (laughs) you know, Don Mancini's, he's an openly gay creator. And I feel like he just got to this point where he was like, I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna make this like real campy and real gay and I'm gonna make it really fun. And I think that adds my, my appreciation to it because I'm, whenever I look at these films, I know that like, this isn't somebody who was like, you know what we need to do? We need to make Chucky marketable, make him funny. It's like, no, this is what the creator wanted to be like this, this transition for him is into this like comedy world. And I love that. I'm like, you know what? I respect that choice. That's a ballsy move to take and you did it. And I think that a lot of the films from the late 90s and early 2000s uh, get a lot of crap that they don't deserve. Like, I am definitely like that Dark Castle apologist for films like House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts, which also fall into this like, yeah, like they all fall into this like very ridiculous, like it sort of is a music video, but is also a movie. Um, And I think that's what Pride of Chucky is, is like the whole, like there's so many segments in this that feel like a weird music video, but like it's so campy and it's just, it's fun and I love 
fun horror movies and i don't know why so many people are like they're not good because it's not elevated horror it's, like it's unapologetic is what this one like this yes. one is yeah i totally forgot that the movie opened up with rob zombie living dead girl <laughs> yeah. was that There's... written for this movie or did he or was that out already i couldn't remember um, but i was like I... I think it was out I already. Think it was out. But, but that's not su- even the only Rob Zombie song in this movie. There's two. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they credit him too at the beginning, even. I was like, oh my God, uh, I totally forgot about that. But yeah, like the whole opening with Tiffany is basically like a mini music video. It's so organic how like easily this transitioned over to like a campy comedy film from like the yeah. third one, which was like not nearly as, I don't think it's as funny as the second one. No. So like it bridged the gap from serious to funny to less funny to way funnier, like just much more deliberately. And I think that that's just like, it's just so effortless that it doesn't seem jarring. And then it's, I don't know, I just, it, the whole music video aspect of this, like definitely there's like a lot of late 90 edge with certain horror films of that era. Mm-hmm. Like this, uh, we, we were, we're going to watch Blade 3 later because mm-hmm. I have to write a piece about it. And <laughs> that also I, kind of falls. It's very much in the same kind of like, <laughs> wow, this is some late 90s, like super cool Matrix, Nine Inch Nails music video. Cool. <laughs> um, but like, it's the, aside from the fashion, I, and like the music choices, this definitely doesn't have, it's not as of its time, I think, as no. much as other films that came out in like 1998 are. I thought it was like even I always thought it came out in like 2000 or 2001. I didn't know it was mm-hmm. even 98. So like, yeah, it definitely doesn't stick out. And I think the the way that you said like how it didn't the, the shift didn't come off jarring was because yeah. of Don Mancini having this, you know, creative consistency across it. So it's like I think if they would have tried to reboot the franchise by doing a Bride of Chucky, but then bringing in, you know, a different writer, it would have right. been completely different it might have been like a oh but it still had the same chucky dna to this Mm -hmm. to this movie i mean it it did in the fact that the one of the weaker points to me is you know we we have our protagonist here that isn't andy and you know it's it's not you know superfluous to the movie but you know i wish the characters were a little bit more interesting to like hold on to like and the fact that he introduces uh you know at the very beginning of the movie the concept of the dynamic in this friend group that like you know she has to bring in her gay friend to pose mm-hmm. as her prom date you know in place of her real boyfriend which was like you know that was something obviously Don Mancini put in you know coming from knowledge as a gay man that he put that in there but like I guess it's cool that he didn't make a big deal about it and make like you know that more central but at the same time, would it may have made, you know, if they focused a little bit more on that, would it made that trio a little bit more interesting? Mm, I don't know. One of the things, um, so there was like a, like a chain thread on Twitter going around that was like the movie villain versus the actual villain. Oh yeah. And I did yeah. one for Bride of Chucky where I did like the movie villain is obviously Chucky and Tiffany. I was like, but the real villain is John Ritter. John, John Ritter. Ritter. <laughs> because it's like, if he was not being such a shitty cop and like abusing his power as a police officer and to, stalking these kids, he wouldn't have died. One, he wouldn't have died. And two, they would have just, carried the dolls across state lines and dropped them off and been on their happy way but it's like no you had to like intervene yourself and cause all these problems for the for this trip and now everyone has to die like this is your fault they would not have been on their happy way they would have been they would have had their bodies stolen yeah (laughs) they would have had their bodies stolen 
This is like not so happy. I want to. I want. I want Jennifer Tilly's voice inside of like Catherine Heigl. That'd be hilarious. Oh, oh man, that that actually would be pretty funny. Everyone, right? Like in in Jennifer Tilly is the the she's the saving grace of this movie. Like oh, easily, like she so she came and she pumped in this you know that cool sexy energy. Like the whole introduction to Tiffany at the beginning, and then when she brings Chucky back in in the scene with the with the wannabe serial killer guy like mm-hmm. and and a thing that i love about that scene too was like how we instantly get this dynamic between them of like oh no you don't do uh this is where we get the first meta references of like oh no don't don't just stab him the uh knife stabs are so in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. now you gotta get with the times you gotta get creative and like adding a layer to chucky that now he uh, has this creative flair for his kills now because of Tiffany and this yeah. just weird dynamic that they have together. Women just have a little bit more flair like, in general. Two things that I think are really interesting about that scene is that one, I think that the Tiffany being kind of obsessed with like killers and all of that um, is very ahead of its time because you look at how true popular crime. like true crime podcasts are mm. with like women specifically. So like that to me is like that tracks that's absolutely correct but then you know you look at this you know the 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 serial killer character that you know she's trying to like you know whatever with trying to groom him she's trying to groom (laughs) um and like just an added element of queerness like that's alexis arquette before she transitioned Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you know we essentially have like a like a pre-transition like trans woman you know playing this character and wearing all of this like kind of like fetishy gear. playing like a little femboy oh, yeah. in like yeah. women's he underwear fi- he the he's gonna be dominated and- yeah there's the fishnet <laughs> there's like the the tight like satin underwear but then like i look at like the piercings and the aesthetic and the tattoos and it just very much reads of like strange land or like daniel harris's character in um an urban legend like like yeah. that very like late 90s like goth aesthetic and to me that was like always very kind of queer was that like specific aesthetic um because everybody was so pretty like everyone's goth but pretty everyone wanted everyone wanted to be brandon lee from the crow around this yeah (laughs) very much so (laughs) and i think that like by leaning into that it's like that's very genius and it just I don't know, it just makes total sense to me that this movie would be kind of off the rails and campy because at its bare core, this movie's about a killer child's toy. Like, yeah, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> like, it is. Just like if you if you pitch that to somebody, it's like, uh, it's a doll, but it kills people. And it's like, that's dumb. I love it, but it's dumb. <laughs> so being able to kind of lean into that like silliness which they do like the lines in this are are so silly um like even tiffany's reveal of when she like bleaches the doll hair and like has her like gothy makeup and she's just like eat your heart out barbie or whatever like barbie your heart out it's like yeah that's exactly what you should say that's like dialogue in this movie the 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 montages of this era in horror we're just like, yeah, like that was like another one of just like, oh, this feels like a music video, but I'm not complaining about it. And and I think, like you said, like, you know, accepting the camp of this movie and like the premise is ridiculous because, you know, I watching the first three, I actually got like I was like, oh, this is like actually like 
deeper and heavier than I remember because it's like about like, you know, kids dealing with childhood trauma, you know, and I was like, right. this is actually like heavier than I thought. So, yeah. So it's like when it comes back, it's like, hey, let's let's remind people that this is silly. This is meant to be had fun with, you know, that it is a killer doll. Yeah, sure. Let's give them a wife now that that that's the me- next logical step. And then it's like and then you're not thinking about like, you know, when they have the weird shit like you know a doll sex scene no one ever thought we were gonna have that let alone years did, before yeah. years before team america yeah before team america before Lisa, like before all that but then it's like that scene is happening and you're like wow this is really weird and strange nowhere is your mind going oh hey the next movie they're gonna have a kid now so it's just like the 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 movie's just like we're this is what we are we're we're having fun with it i think you have to have fun like that i think you can you can get an audience to buy in on like one killer doll and take it seriously two killer dolls like no we have jumped the line (laughs) we have to now be a little bit silly because it's it's ridiculous and it's it's smart and you know you get that ending shot which it just makes me think of like the fly um where like she gives birth to the to the to the maggot, to the maggot but yeah. you know she, it's this crazy like baby doll thing and the and the doll effects in bride are amazing mm-hmm. like they're li- like those dolls are incredibly crafted mm. um but that like screaming baby thing at the end is- and then they just literally do a keyframe animation for it too they didn't even bother like actually <laughs> animating no. it and but i will agree i definitely I I do think that Bride of Chucky does still hold up as the best Chucky design for me at least. I think it's the the oh, best yeah. doll of them all cuz you know mm-hmm. it's it's memorable. It's got all the scars and everything. So um and then you know we see later that's like kind of goes into the iconography of of Chucky. So going into to seed of Chucky, you know like you said it's like okay two dolls we're already jumping in you know we're we're fully committed but oh no no six years later we have more we're going even (laughs) further into it like i remember i i I do remember seeing the trailer for seed of chucky when i was super young and thinking it was like a joke you know i was like wait this is like i mean this is like an i think i was like nine or ten at this point i was like this is this is going down this is this was happening (laughs) and then and then you know i i had faint memories of it until i rewatched it uh like three or four years ago and then was like wait what was this movie doing in 2004 so please give me your guys's uh initial thoughts of of seed of chucky and I'm gonna let you lead on this one. I think. Oh, is it? Is it because it's the, the 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 trans movie? Yeah, this is tagging you in for your, your okay, token cool. edition. Oh, this is where I contribute. <laughs> I mean, for one thing, Jennifer Tilly is the star in this movie, and we will never forget that. Regardless if this is a heavily like gay movie, Jennifer Tilly is an icon, and she makes this by pulling double duty. The star <laughs> Just need to get that two. out of the way. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, as far as like your really meta movies go that are like super self-aware horror movies like something like new nightmare i think this one does it best and i think as far as like don mancini being like okay we're gonna be really gay with bride of chucky 
yeah, you're gonna have a gay friend. You're gonna have pre-transition Alexis Arquette as a little femboy. It's gonna be a retelling of Bride of Frankenstein. Gonna be gay, cool. Now we're gonna lean even harder into the gimmick. And I'm such a sap for movies that lean into their gimmicks, which is like, okay, one killer doll, it's silly. Two killer dolls, more. Three, cool, we're just going to just turn everything all the way up and we're gonna make everything too much to the point where it's gonna be amazing. And what I think this movie does right by being too much (laughs) is that it actually does a very good job of portraying like a coming out sort of story because uh, traditionally speaking, most people that I know that talk to, at least trans people that I know that talk to about their coming out experiences, dad is always the difficult one. Mom is always not always perfect, but way more receptive to it. And I think that makes total sense for Chucky and Tiffany as characters, which I appreciate because like Chucky's pure evil, but mm-hmm. Jennifer Tilly, like she's, she is Tiffany is not quite as evil. She's got, she's got morals. She's she got empathy. standards. She wants to be a good mom. And I did, I never, I did look at, I didn't think about uh, the parent angle from it of, um, you know, this being a have its time, you know, telling a transgender coming out story. One, again, back in 2004, you know, mm-hmm. keep in mind, 2004, we still haven't gotten many of these kind of stories. And the the first thing that I had taken from it was um, was them kind of using the, the gender identity issue tandem you know with the issue of him not deciding or uh glenda not deciding if they want to be a killer or not as well Mm -hmm. so it's like an interesting way that they could add levity to it you know of being like hey we do want to show this side of the story but like we're also yeah you gotta remember we're full on camp at this point now and we gotta lean into it so i thought it was like very interesting how they um like gave that gave that balance of it and and do you think obviously being written and this is uh don mancini's directorial debut you mm-hmm. know i think that was uh monumental for for him to be able to tell the story like because do you think it would have been able to tell that story within this universe still without dan don mancini you know i don't think so i think that it really this material in the hands of someone that is not Don Mancini, who has not like completely shaped this world, I think it could have been really exploitive and very mm-hmm. gross. Um, but Seed of Chucky, for as goofy and silly as it is, I mean, like there's an entire running gag of Jennifer Tilly playing herself, mocking her own career, and then also not being, like, calling him, like, Mr. Redman all the time instead of, like, Redman, um, which is just so funny to me because she's so earnest about it. But, like, even with all of these elements at play and it still being a killer doll movie, like, it's a really earnest look at somebody dealing with sort of gender dysphoria. And, like, Glenn slash Glenda is this very sympathetic character because not only do you feel for them that they're being pulled with this gender stuff, but you also feel for them because like, yeah, your, your parents are killers. And like, that sucks. That's a (laughs) lot for you to deal with. And in a weird way, it's also sort of touching on this idea of like, you know, I guess like toxic masculinity because like the masculine, you know, side is like, that's like killing. And then like also 
you know, the other side's a little softer and like, yeah, that's a bit binary thinking. It's very on the nose, but there's a lot of these like very socially progressive stances happening all at once. But I think it's also important to recognize that when this came out, I think everybody, including the queer community, I think mm-hmm. we had that same response of like, is this for real? Like, what? <laughs> what? This is this is not real. And it's only been recently, I would say in probably like the last five years or so, that queer theory has been doing sort of these like retcon um, interpretations where it's like, hey, we were we were really wrong about um, our read on this the first time. And it's important to acknowledge that because when this came out, this is like peak of, you know, the starting the fight for marriage equality and all mm-hmm. of that. And this is when like the queer community was very like hard into like assimilation and being like, no, we're like, we're not scary. Like we're just like you. So then to have like a trans movie that's like positive trans movie come out and it's this wild ass killer doll movie. Like no one wanted that. It was like, we, no, you're hurting the cause. Why are you doing this? Um, but now that like that's out, that sort of wave of like queer liberation is out of the way and we can actually look at it for what it is. It's like, shit, this movie is so ahead of its time mm-hmm. and we were not fair to it when it came out and we should have been. Yeah, I think it's I think it's like you said, um, you know, you said that the movie was earnest because it wasn't. I think people mistook the the campy comedic tone for it being like exploitive and it's like like you said but then looking back it's like no it it definitely wasn't like it was made in just all out earnest earnesty the only thing that like i was like curious that i don't know if either of you guys like read it this way but the like i would say the only like somewhat problematic like kind of interpretation that i saw was like how they kind of treated glenn slash glenda's uh, gender dysmorphia is like almost like a split personality. Like, I don't know if that is something that is like, you know, uh, like something that is dealt with in the transgender community or if that, or if that comes off as like, kind of like, you know, almost like counterproductive, like kind of like the Danish girl, like how it like seemed like almost more of like a split personality than the actual battle within. <laughs> First of all, I hate the Danish girl so much. I hate it so much. I like to watch the people do. Like, Most people do. God, I just hate Eddie Redmayne and everything he's in. He's awful. But um, I, I think it's a it, it's it's complicated. Like, is it a little exploitive? Yes, because like trans people do not have this like split personality thing per se. There's definitely a um, a lot of trans people who treat their pre-transition and post-transition lives very separately and tend to be like not address the first one so it's not necessarily like a split personality in that sense but it is almost like a dual life sort of in that sense when really it's it's the same but it's just a matter of it's difficult to talk about things from a gender that you weren't comfortable in and that causes dysphoria so they just prefer to ignore it usually Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as like the split personality thing goes it's I always read it as Glenn slash Glenda being a child of abuse and being young and not properly being able to digest the everything that is happening in this movie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's just me. What do you, what do you think? Um, I think for me, I I think that it's, it's, it's correct in saying that Glenn slash Glenda is, you know, this, you know, product of abuse because until they meet, Chucky and Tiffany 
I mean, they're they're being kind of tormented. They're being what, what's the name? Is it shitface? Psych face, something psych, like that. Psych and shitface. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like you're you know being called this like awful name. Like you don't have an identity. You don't like because there's even the running gag um, of like being made in Japan mm-hmm. and you know having that layered identity on top of it. And I think that it's very much a character that's trying to not only just like figure out who they are, but also like find someone who's going to treat them like a human and, or not like a human, obviously they're a doll, but like treat, doll them, human. treat, treat <laughs> them like, like a full, like a full identity and not just like, oh, you're shit face or, oh, you're this or, oh, you represent that. And, you know, knowing that like the, the female presentation tends to make tiffany happier like oh well maybe if i look this way then like mommy will love me kind mm-hmm. of thing and i think it's just a character trying to figure themselves out between like between these like you know the, this the, this double-sided coin so to speak um and i think yeah i mean it's it's easy to dismiss it as like you know th- this doesn't go into the nuance of like gender identity of course not. It's a fucking killer doll movie. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what more you want from it, um, especially given that it's doing so many things so well that even the most well-intentioned Oscar baby movies cannot accomplish. Mm-hmm. I think that Seed of Chucky does a better job uh, talking about the transition experience than the Danish Girl. <laughs> a lot of things exactly. do a better job than the Danish Girl. Oh, <laughs> you know yeah. that's a little. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's and it's just it's incredible. And like I said, it's a, it's a testament to the time that it was made and the fact that, you know, we're having such a powerful moment right now, you know, specifically within like the black transgender community. So like these conversations mm-hmm. are coming up and, you know, once again, see if Chucky is popping its way back into the conversation of, um, you know, the queer community within um, within the horror genre. And uh, it's uh, it's a lot of things. And. And, you know, even aside from that, it's also with, you know, the the plot of Jennifer Tilly, you know, basically like being willing to like sleep with Redman in order for the part is also, you know, with, you know, the Me Too movement and things that yeah. were going on a few years ago. So, again, yeah. ahead of its time, you know, yeah, and didn't even know it. It's like it's kind of like upsetting in a way where it's <laughs> it's always been there <laughs> like like Tini like knew like he he called out that police suck like like way before anyone else is willing to say it and now he's got like all of these other layers going on and seed and it's like these movies that i think to casual fans get written off as just camp trash i think have some of the best messaging um in any of them and then obviously like he he continues on even after because once you start you know introducing fiona doris character after this section you know she's she's in a wheelchair so now we're dealing with like different disabilities it's like don mancini was just like everyone gets everyone gets to tell a story in in chucky like let me let me add some some more characters some more storytelling and you know what i love that i love that about this franchise because i don't know many other franchise where you can say like well like what topics are covered um, there are very, mm-hmm. very few that can boast as many as as the Child's Play franchise. It really has, like it, and it, it's super cool. Like it really is, and the 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 diversity just through and through the franchise. And and I can only wonder, you know, what they're going to introduce when the the TV series comes about too. You know, now yeah. they have <laughs> now they have all kinds of you know time to tell, you know, get even more in depth, and you know, get you know more relevant, more current as well. 
So, you know, it's, it's super interesting, but, um, but it, it was really crazy to look back on like the era that these two movies came out and, you know, what it meant for that franchise, but then what it meant for where horror was at the time as well. And, um, you know, providing much needed representation into, um, various, you know, corners of the queer community. Hence why I thought this franchise was perfect for Pride Month and why I was squeezing all these episodes in. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're you're nailing it with with this for Pride Month because you know it's it, it's the franchise that has been like all the way through held uh, helmed by a gay person, and that's super rad. Most of them have like a couple entries that maybe mm-hmm. do like Hellraiser has some. Just the revolving yeah. door for the most part. Yeah, but yeah, but Child's yeah. Play is Don Mancini's baby, so it is like this is like pinnacle of queer horror. You know, and like, and and like, even great in the aspect, like, even before Bride and Seed came out, like, you know, with the earlier entries, and you know, not to say that Curson, Curson, uh, Colt aren't, you know, pretty gay. They still got their gay elements as well. Oh, but yeah. like, you know, I think it's also cool that you know, there's you know, these horror films that you know, that are well representative of you know, queer community, but aren't outwardly gay movies either. You know, mm-hmm. I think I love that the franchise like kind of has the balance of it because, you know, he gets to have his cake and eat it, too, because Bride and Seed are gay enough for the whole rest of the franchise, even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. And there's definitely like little pieces that I think are sprinkled throughout the franchise. But, um, you know, it, there is something really beautiful about how kind of overtly gay these movies are, because people are going to go to the th- like we're going to go to the theater or rent these because they're Chucky movies. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times um, if something is, you know, known as like, oh, this is like, you know, going to be overtly gay or like, you know, you can watch like the the Scream Queen documentary about Mark Patton and Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. too. How many people just like raged against how much they hate that movie because it's so gay um, versus this. Like, I think people were like, no, nah, I don't care. I just want to watch Chucky kill people. And I think that that's really cool. Exactly. It got to, like I say, it got to have its cake and eat it too, like in the best way. Um, the only unfortunate thing that I have is that Glenn slash Glenda doesn't move forward into the rest of the movies. But um, Don Mancini has said the TV series is willing to bring back, you know, past characters from other movies. Hopefully, maybe bisexual icon Kyle from Child's Play 2 as well. Yes. <laughs> love to see, would love to see her come back. Like, you know, we have opportunity for all of this. So. Uh, I'm very excited to see where it goes forward. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast, guys. I think this is a pretty good, nice uh, stopping point. And um, but yeah, I really appreciate, you know, um, coming on the show and, you know, giving some different angles and perspectives from, um, you know, the different angles of the queer community in these films. So I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. It was super fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, where can the people find you, stalk you, and all that good stuff? Sure. Mine is just my name, at BJ Colangelo. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are cool. If you add me on Facebook, I will not accept it. <laughs> I am uh, at Velocitraptor. So Veloc- Vel- Vela underscore. No, Velosa v- underscore trap underscore tour. Because I can spell my own name. Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And don't do nearly as much stuff as you do, because I'm not good at peopling. 
I've people enough for both of us. It's true. People <laughs> enough for the both of you. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and there'll be links to all that stuff in uh, the description below, guys. But um, once again, thank you guys for coming on the show. And uh <gasps> back to just me um <laughs> if you're watching the video version you saw me do a really shitty one of those transitions that people do like when you cover the camera and shit and it's probably not gonna look good I'll get better at it though it's all good but uh that was a very great interview with BJ and Harmony Colangelo um, shout out to them one more time because that was um, so fantastic. Like I said, they definitely brought a lot of views and perspectives to the conversation when it came to Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky that I wouldn't have thought of. I didn't realize how gay Bride of Chucky really was. I mean, I guess just like watching it when I was younger, I didn't really um, see some of the uh, some of the context here and there. But then, um, obviously, I wanted to bring them on for a discussion on uh, Seed of Chucky because, you know, looking back at that movie now, and we really, you know, back then, people just did not take that movie seriously at all because it, it is so campy and it's so ridiculous, but people didn't realize the sincerity that Don Mancini had when he was making Seed of Chucky and bringing these transgender themes uh, into the conversation when it came to horror movies. You know, we didn't have that then in 2004 all that much. We still don't have much of that now either. So that makes Seed of Chucky even more important in the queer canon of the horror genre than it did already. So it was super great to have them on to um, just give a little bit more perspective and um, they're just both big fans of the movie as well. So it was so great to have them on for volume two of Batteries Not Included. This is our run through of the Chucky franchise. We have one more part to go, one more episode where we will be covering Curse and Cult of Chucky. So make sure if you haven't seen those movies yet, make sure you watch them because uh, a lot of people don't know that these movies exist, you know, if they're not, if they're not horror fans, if you're not a horror fan, like more like a deeper horror fan, I guess, there's a good chance you haven't seen these movies. Uh, they came out a few years ago and, you know, people didn't know that like Chucky was back. But then when Child's Play 2019 came out, people are like, oh, a new Chucky. That's uh, so cool. Blah, blah, blah. But it's like they didn't know that Curse and Cult of Chucky had come out already and that the Chucky franchise is is still going. So there was like this divide a little bit amongst the horror community too when Child's Play 2019 came out because people on one hand were like, yo, the series is still going. That's disrespectful to make a new one. But then other people were like, eh, it's time to start fresh anyways, blah, 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 even though some of them had not seen Curse and Cult of Chucky and been like seeing that, you know, the way that they re-updated the series again into yet another new era. And I love this era. I mean, this is like this next era, the third era that we're going to be talking about 
is really what reignited my love for Chucky and Child's Play. Like, I'd always loved uh, the Chucky movies growing up. Um, I mean, really, I had only watched Bride of Chucky and Child's Play 1. Like, I watched those two um, pretty much exclusively. I didn't see, like, the other sequels for a bit. Um, I didn't really... I didn't see the original trilogy until after Bride of Chucky. But then... Once I saw Curse of Chucky and then Cult of Chucky, that's whenever I had the true appreciation that I do now for this franchise when I was like, oh, shit. So they had and that's why I noticed that, like, you know, what they've been able to do with this each era and keeping the continuity going and bringing old characters back in. You bring in um, Brad Dorif's daughter, Fiona Dorif to play a new protagonist but that's also cool because she gets to act with her dad now and she's a part of the legacy like that's so cool so this is when I, what really like made me uh fall in love with this franchise and be like and have this real true appreciation for um what it is and what it's become um it, it's just uh yeah I love it and we are finishing that up that will come up on Tuesday um, the last day of June. So, I mean, we are squeezing in the franchise, um, just in the nick of time for pride month, um, was happy to do this ultra special pride celebration episode. This is the bloody blunt cinema club pride celebration episode officially. And it was a very good one. I was, um, uh, had such a good time talking about bride and Cedar Chucky. So it is onward to volume three we will close out this franchise and then we will start some other shit so make sure you are subscribed on spotify or itunes if you listen on apple Podcasts, please um, write a five-star review because it helps us get on the charts so that way more people can find the show i would greatly appreciate that so please write a five-star review uh, subscribe on the YouTube channel because now I have the video going and it will not be an issue anymore. So if you want to, if you like watching me do the podcast, please listen on YouTube. Um, you get to see Harley. Um, Harley's not in here right now while I'm uh, recording this outro, unfortunately. But you get to see Harley. You get to see my sweet mustache. Um, you get to see the sweet t-shirts that I wear, just like uh, this nice vintage Beatles shirt that I got from my homie at Vintage Redo. Shout out to her on Instagram. She has her own website where she has all sorts of really cool thrifted vintage clothing. She modifies uh, clothing as well. She has uh, weed smoking robes. She's got bomber jackets. She's got all the good shit. So make sure you check out Vintage Redo. I'll leave a link in the description below to find her stuff as well. So uh, yeah, if you watch on YouTube in the video, you get to see the shirts that I'm wearing. And um, I don't know, I just I, I think the video experiment like experience like just adds another layer to it because it's just like that's whenever I feel like it's just like me and you because like when I'm recording the podcast, I mean I guess I'm just talking to myself in the monitor. So it's like it, it it's really like this is me and you time. So I highly recommend that you um check a uh, check play blunts out on YouTube because there will other also be other shit coming to the YouTube channel some short films some video breakdowns some other type shit um you know a lot of video content is coming so yeah be here on uh, the YouTubes but that is all that I have for this episode 
Thanks for riding it out. Follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Bloody Blunts with three O's. Chat with me. Uh, find me on Letterboxd as well. I haven't pumped that one out. Find me on Letterboxd. Um, I have a different link for that one. But um, that's the website where I keep track of all the movies that I'm watching. So if you want to check out my video diary, um, make a profile on Letterboxd. But now that is all I have. I will catch you guys later. Stay lifted.